Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 73 and audio season four, episode two of Music Is Not A Genre. Thank you, as always, for tuning in in whatever way you are consuming this. And always remember that you can get audio and video versions of these podcasts delivered right to your inbox if you join me at patreon.com slash musicisnotagenre, as well as exclusive video and audio that no one else in the world gets. Uh, and or you can also support me for any amount at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. And as always, please subscribe for free to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. Let's get right to it. So this is really the, uh, it's, it's, it's season four, episode two, but it's really the first episode in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Because last week was more about uh, summing up and looking forward and asking you, as I said, and I'm going to repeat that right now. In case you missed it, if you have any ideas for podcast material for music, it's not a genre, please comment or in any way contact me and let me know. I'm, I'm kind of branching out beyond my collection, even though I have way more to go that could last for years and years and years and years uh, that shouldn't limit uh, what we talk about. So if there's another band or artist or album that you feel deserves a full episode or a style of music or anything like that or musical concept or idea, let me know. Uh, as well as if there's anybody you think I should interview, let me know that. Uh, or I'd be happy to talk about a music movie or music television show or a music book, which I will be doing. I have some of those slated already for future episodes. Uh, so let's get right to this uh, real first episode, episode two. The title here is Red Hot Chili Peppers. The Californulation of True Legends. You see what I did there? Uh, I had a lot of puns. Um, I had I had one, uh, by the way, these guys are true legends. It, you know, titles are fun. So this is kind of what I'm getting at here. First, let me give you a quick rundown of the way the podcast is going to go. In case you haven't uh, been aware of music is not a genre, I'm going to be talking, uh, giving an opinion on how I think this band and their albums and their music fits into the world and what else it connects with. In this case, uh, I'm also, or in every case, in every episode, I also connect it to music of mine and my band Rex Music, Rec, R-E-C. And also in this case, because these guys are true legends, I'm going to be going through their main discography album by album, not just the ones that you video viewers see here, which are the ones that I own on CD, but every everything, uh, you know, every one of their main albums and uh, some other comments and things like that. So my main point here has to do with that word legends. So 
some bands are just around. They're there all the time. We take them for granted. They're reliable. Uh, you know, they're always performing. They're always putting out material. Most of those bands, most, the majority, vast majority are unknown. They're unknown. They're unacclaimed. They're unnoted in, in many ways. They may have once had a period of hits or one hit, or they may not have. But either way, as of the present moment, we don't think of them much. As I said, we take them for, for granted. They're just there. But what happens when one of those bands is not just around, but they also consistently release great albums every few years or you know, whatever their, uh, their schedule is, and singles to go along with those albums. They're featured on soundtracks. They're touring all the time, and when they, and when they tour, they're always touring uh, to support new material as well as uh, relying on all of the hits that their fans love. They grow and change even while they're sticking to their core. What do you call a band like that? I think you would call a band like that a legend. And you may see where I'm getting uh, here. The, the bands that we think of as legends, the Stones, the Who, U2, even Pearl Jam, uh, and I'm, I'm naming specifically bands who are still around largely intact in their original form for the most part and not just touring and still active but but still creating new music uh, however often they do they're always renewing they're always you know looking to maintain that kind of uh, the, the dream world that they live in of being able to do music as a career and not taking it for granted these are these are undisputed legends active legends. Different from, and I think in a, in my opinion, higher, in a higher tier than self-tribute legends like the Beach Boys or Chicago, who are, are stalwart tourers constantly out there. Every now and then they may put out something new, but they're not really evolving in the same way these other bands are. They kind of uh, hit a certain point, stayed there, their new material is more kind of based on that tribute formula, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, it's a uh, homage to themselves, I guess you could say. Great bands, but I, they don't add anything new to the conversation. They stopped doing that at a certain point. And I'm also not compar- comparing bands like The Stones, The Who, U2, Pearl Jam, et cetera, to uh, bands like The Beatles or The Beastie Boys, who are also undisputed legends, but obviously cannot continue on the way they used to and have either completely stopped or fractured or whatever it is. Now, I would put the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, in, in a similar category to those first bands I mentioned, but with a special case. And this is the case I'm making here. They're always around. We may forget them. I'll be honest, their last album, which was put out five years ago, I missed it. And I, I regret that I missed it. I'm glad I've heard it since then. I just recently listened to their entire um, uh, chronography and uh, their discography. I do my chronologies, which also included some of Frusciante's solo work. And I'll talk about that later. Uh, but they, you know, have been around in a way that's not just they're out there touring and, and kicking ass. 
but every few years they put out an album that's just good, if not great, if not epic. And yet we, we don't talk about them. We actually take them for granted. We, we think of them, you know, I think they're in league with the, the Stones and U2 and Pearl Jam and all of that, but we think of them, I think, as those same kind of uh, penis sock-wearing partiers uh, who don't really take themselves seriously. It's, it's, it's amazing how that was so long ago, it was like three decades ago, and there are so many of us, when we hear that name, Red Hot Chili Peppers, we still think of them that way. And, that, and, and in, the, in only that way, and thus may not consider them to be worthy of legendary status or, or what have you. And I would even put I'd put Green Day in that same category, and you know Green Day has put out epic stuff, and their last album was amazing, and they've been around for well over, you know, over 30 years, and yet because they seem like just kind of young snot-nosed punks and had that attitude, it's, you know, and have maintained, like as, as I've said about bands like this, maintained kind of stuck to their core but evolved over the years, yet we still think of them as those snot-nosed punks. I would say that in some ways Foo Fighters was in that category until a while ago when they just sort of rose to the kind of elder statesman, you know, uh, Hall of Fame, legendary, very well respected uh, in that kind of alt-rock world. So they've, you know, they kind of did what I think these other bands should do, which is they rose in the public consciousness to that higher tier of legendary status. And I would say that the Red Hot Chili Peppers haven't done that. And yet they deserve to have done that. They they deserve to be thought of in the same uh, world as all of these other bands I'm mentioning. And and let's, let's go back and just brief history. They started in, uh, I think it was 83, and put their first album out soon after that. And uh, they kind of carved out that sound of mixing, uh, you know, punk and other forms of rock and funk and rap, hip-hop, into all, uh, you know, into the sound that they created for that first album. And then their second album, they got the notice of George Clinton, though already a legend by then, who said, I'll produce your next album. And they never stopped. They, you know, they, I would, well, I'll have a comment about that later, but they never stopped trying to do more and do better, despite personnel changes and, and the death of Hilla Slovak and, and every other thing that happened to them. Every step of the way, they, they changed and that's where I get Californulation. I couldn't think of a good pun for evolution that had anything to do with their songs. Uh, if you could think of one, send it to me. I won't change the title because it's too late, but I would like to know it. Um, I, will, I will credit you. And what's funny is, going back to kind of their origin, they were considered... Uh, there's this phrase I use, and it's not my, I didn't make it up. It's called, uh, I say, funky, punky idiots. And that comes from a Beastie Boys song. And I think it perfectly describes how the, the kind of, the, the way the Beastie Boys saw themselves and other people saw them early on in their career because they were somebody who mixed funky music, in their case, hip hop, 
with punk and were seen by some people as idiots, you know, partying, partiers, etc. I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers for at least the first, you know, maybe decade of their career were seen the same way. And funny enough, in the 80s, I believe after License to Ill, there was a point at which uh, the Beastie Boys, I think before they were famous, opened for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who only predated them by a few years, but then, you know, in the music world, that's a long time. And the someone in the press said something that caused this sort of fake rivalry where the, you know, one who they were saying who was funkier and the Chili Peppers were like, well, we started first and we got there first and, you know, and, and they opened for us and the Beastie Boys were like, listen to our music, we're clearly funkier than they they are. And I remember that because I remember at the time knowing more about the Beastie Boys than I did about uh, the Chili Peppers. And because I liked the Beastie Boys and was just ravenous for their music, licensed to ill and all that stuff, uh, I took their word for it. And I thought, well, who are, who are these Chili Peppers? You know, I think at that point I had heard maybe Higher Ground, their cover of the Stevie Wonder song, and Knock Me Down. And I thought, good, that's good. That's really good. But it, the, the, the thing is, and I think I even knew it then, they're, they don't do the same kind of music. I would put, I think back then especially, and I can't remember if these bands are also from California. See the shirt, you video people. A word on purpose. Constant California references in uh, the Chili Peppers music. But bands like Thelonious Monster, I did a podcast on them a while back. And uh, Fishbone. These kind of bands that mixed rock and punk, uh, I mean, punk rock and, and rap, you know, or hip hop or, you know, whatever elements of that they used, uh, and funk. And in fact, when Frusciante, a huge fan of the Chili Peppers early on before they were that famous, wanted to join them, I think Flea told him, you should join Thelonious Monster, you'd be a better fit. And I could kind of see why he would say that based on Frusciante's um, style, Although then you mix that style with, with what the Chili Peppers were already doing and you get what you get, which is the stuff in front of you that you video people are seeing. It's uh, six of their seven main albums plus their first greatest hits album. And like I said, I'm talking, talking about that in detail. And you know the imprint, if you know the Peppers, that Fushiante made on that band, the changes that happened when he stepped in. And yet... They kind of outpaced Thelonious Monster, who I, I would bet and almost no one, maybe no one listening to this podcast knows. And they outpaced Fishbone, who revered punk, you know, people and, and funk and all of that. And I, I liked them a lot. I didn't, I didn't dive into them, but I, I knew enough of their music to enjoy it. And they went a different way, and that's fine. Uh, the, the Chili Peppers wanted to evolve into other things, and... And they did uh, quickly, fairly quickly. I mean, they had a few years under their belt. But when Hillel Slovak died and they replaced him with John Frusciante and their drummer left and they replaced him with Chad Smith, everything gelled to, uh, you know, blood sugar sex magic, which was their first breakout absolute masterpiece album that catapulted them to fame, even though they had a hits from uh, minor hits from other albums. 
and they had started establishing some of what they would do in the future in those other albums. It was that album that came together, and I'm going to talk about it more in detail later as to why I think that happened, other than their evolution and desire, like I said, to want to do more and do better. Um, If you stopped there, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, they should already be put in the same category as alt icons like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, even though they predated them, but hopefully you see what I'm getting at here. But they didn't stop there. You know, put out another album. And then after, after more than 15 years of existence, what do you get? You get Californication. You get By the Way, you get Stadium Arcadium, and I think all of those are just masterpieces. That was this, their, 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 their second, let's say, let's call it a second peak, or third peak, I, I don't know. I don't ever want to say it's uh, a band's only peak, because you never know if they're still active what they might come up with next. Green Day has shown us that, Foo Fighters, bands like that, even U2 showed us that when they came back with um, All That You Can't Leave Behind, you know, after, you know, a decade of decent hits, but not as big as Octung Baby. You never know, right? And I would say that this, that that kind of not just staying power, but growing power and proof that they could go where they wanted to go and make great albums and great songs out of it puts them in legendary status. We're talking almost forty years of existence now, and. The hit, just dozens of hits and great albums. They should be legends in the same breath as all these other bands. In fact, I'm going to make a case here that they are the modern day Rolling Stones. And I've got notes here as to why. I want to see if you agree with me. Tell me if you don't, and that's fine. Here's why. Pretend I'm talking about either band. In your head, pick one of those bands, the Stones or the Chili Peppers. Everything I'm saying right now applies to both of them. They started loosely with okay material, fine material, not the best material ever, but bolstered by a very clear sonic vision, just starting out in a very solid way, knowing what they wanted to do and be. They were, they were uh, riffing off of and paying tribute to their favorite African-American music. In the case of the Stones, it was, it was blues and blues rock, early rock and roll, and in the case of... Uh, the Chili Peppers, it's funk and, and hip-hop. Uh, the, and then both of them added rock. The Stones added the, you know, the, that kind of 60s brand of British rock. And the Chili Peppers added punk and post-punk and that kind of a thing. They, they both generally stick to their core members. With the Chili Peppers, it's been those same three guys for over 30 years. And the Stones, you know... The same basic, same basic core members with some personnel changes, some deaths uh, in both cases. And uh, in the case of personnel changes with the Chili Peppers for the last 30 years, it's basically been watching John Frusciante decide whether or not he wants to be a part of the band. Which can be heartbreaking when you're taking the journey, but in hindsight is, is, is you understand it. And it's also kind of funny. And despite all of this, both of those bands always come back to the music. They're, they're always planning another tour and they're always putting out something new, no matter how long it takes. And in fact, I would say if Keith Richards and Mick Jagger had a baby with George Clinton and the Beastie Boys, you would get the Chili Peppers. 
So tell me if you think I'm wrong about them uh, being the modern day Rolling Stones. Uh, you would have to know, you would have to be in touch enough with the fact that hip hop is as important as the blues to, to understand that. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who do. I'm not saying I understand any better than anybody else. I'm just saying that's kind of where I'm coming from. The Chili Peppers were a huge influence on me. Uh, not every band I talk about is. Some were more minor, some not so much. But uh, they were. Because of their mix of music, the, you know, the, the not just rock, punk, pop, certainly power pop, uh, hip-hop and rap, funk, funky stuff, uh, psychedelic music, psychedelic elements to the music, uh, multi-layered harmonies. Uh, th- those, are, those are all things that are a part of their music and a part of my music. I, I remember once a way back when I was uh, putting together a bunch of you know, different uh, bands, and this I think was even before I renamed myself Wreck, uh, when I was just going by my name Nick, uh, I had to find a replacement drummer. I had been doing a string of gigs here in New York City, and my regular drummer couldn't do it. And that replacement drummer wasn't as familiar with the music. And even back then, the thing I said to him was, well, if you're not sure, you know, what, how should you approach it? Just kind of a shorthand. I said to him, when in doubt, make it funky. And you could say that that's pretty much the case with everything I've ever done. It has some element of funkiness or syncopation, the way I produce things, that's, that, that's also evident. It's not just about dance. It, it is about that kind of syncopation. It's about that kind of feeling of movement and offbeat things that kind of uh, defy expectations or make you want to move. You know, also, I uh, have been in love with the bass for the last decade or more and I'm in some bands where I play bass primarily and, and sing. And so uh, when I realized that bass was just a very natural interest, instrument for me, I started composing things more often with bass as a part of them. As a matter of fact, um, you know, even before I knew that bass was a thing, I, I felt akin to it. And, and uh, here's some songs of mine that you can find on SoundCloud. I think my SoundCloud is a slash rec or slash rec area, it might be, but you check that out. Uh, title from my 95 EP, Standing There. Uh, Your Sister, absolutely. Behind the Shadow, Sense of, On the One from Metrograd Sessions, and Come a Little Closer from that same album. Uh, I'm Gone and Stop It and Some Things Happen from the, uh, oh geez, from Parts and Labor, which I would say of any is the most representative of the Chili Peppers' influence on me. And those three songs in particular, I'm Gone, Stop It, and Some Things Happen. Listen to that album. I put the link below in the text. As always, the link above is about the Chili Peppers. Link below is something of mine. And it's that album, Parts and Labor, on my Bandcamp page, um, uh, recarea.bandcamp.com. That's the album to start with, I think. Uh, And Never Tell... Love in Stockholm and When It Comes from Distance to Empty. Different people, big time. That has, I think, three or four bass tracks that I mix together. Just shows my, how much I love, you know, bass. Uh, Xmas, 
uh, also from that same album, uh, The Sunshine Seminar. My, the stuff I put out in the last year, uh, Scroll Out, my cover of the Guess Who's New Mother Nature, The Accumulate, very psychedelic, funky alt-rock. Real life starts with a bass solo. Make Me Break Like Every Day has a more of a funky soul feel, but it's, it's, it's akin. All of Syncope for the Weird, where that song comes from, and I would say almost all of Synergy for the Weird, all this stuff's on my Bandcamp page, recarea.bandcamp.com. It's also on Spotify and Apple and Amazon and every single Deezer title and every single other streaming service you could possibly think of, uh, even Audius. And, you know, as I said, layered harmonies and things like that. Those are the, the, just a few of the songs where you can hear the influence of this amazing band. Uh, are you a Chili Peppers fan at all? Before I get to the to the discography, let me ask you these questions. Did you follow them for just for part of their career, maybe when they had their first hits in the early 90s or maybe when they came back a few, you know, a decade later or so? Uh, did you lose touch at some point, like I apparently did in 2016? Or have you stuck with them throughout their journey? Uh, whether Whatever the answer is, which period of theirs is your favorite? Did you feel like they sold out for Blood Sugar Sex Magic? And I am somewhat laughing at that. Did you feel like uh, that was their greatest period and their later stuff was too um, contemplative or plotting or whatever? Uh, I'm not saying I agree with that. I've just heard other people say that. Do you know of other bands who are not uh, as, as universally well-known but should be, who deserve that legendary status? Uh, I would say close, a close one for me would be Fountains of Wayne, um, also Matthew Sweet, but that's my personal opinion. I'd like to know if there are bands that you know of who, who should be legends, who should be thought of as legends, uh, because as always, I want to know your opinion. I want to know what you agree or disagree with. And uh, let's get to the discography. It's, uh, we're, we're already, we've already got a mammoth, uh, dare I say, legendary podcast episode here. I'm going to blow through this. So their first album, which I don't have because I didn't know about them at the time. I think it was 84, called the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Again, great start, established many of their core elements. Uh, There's some fun songs on there. I don't think there are any legendary songs, but it was great enough that George Clinton said, hey, I'll produce your next album, Freaky Styly, which uh, really established them as somebody to be contended with, if not actually you know, uh, well-known or famous or successful at the time. Uh, they did a Sly and the Family Stone cover, If You Want Me to Stay, which I thought was really good. I love that they did so many covers early on because they did great jobs with those covers. Uh, George Clinton suggested that they do a cover of the Meters song, Africa, but change it to Hollywood because he said Hollywood was their Africa. And, uh, you know, other people from that family and George Clinton and P-Funk and, and all that worked with them. And then they moved on to the Uplift Mofo Party Plan, which I think was the apex of their early style, that kind of loose, funky-punky, mostly rap. It was when, um, you know, Anthony Kiedis finally started to feel maybe slightly more comfortable with his singing voice, not completely comfortable, but enough to do more singing. And, uh, you know, Fushante joined at that time as well, so that really started to help things gel Oh, no, I'm sorry. I skipped skipped ahead. Scratch that. I'm not going to edit it out. You people can yell at me. Uh, That didn't happen in MoFo Party Plan. Um, I can't see my own own notes. 
Behind the Sun is from the Uplift MoFo Party Plan, and I think that's their first truly awesome original song. And I knew of it later on on the album What Hits, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, And it wasn't a giant hit for them, really, but I loved that song. That was the part of the Chili Peppers where, you know, uh, I thought, oh, I could get into this band, you know. Uh, they actually did a Bob Dylan cover, uh, Subterranean Homesick Blues, on that album. Then comes Mother's Milk, which I think is probably their first truly very, very good album, if not great album. And it's the beginning of their future, both because, again, John Frusciante joined, and that changed them. There was more emphasis on melody in their songs, and even though they still did a ton of rap rock, which is something that wouldn't become ultra successful until the mid and late 90s. Uh, they, were, they were there way ahead of time, as the Beastie Boys were in their own way. Uh, they added so much melody to this album. They did a cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground. And let me tell you, I think that was the first song of theirs I ever heard. And when I heard it, I thought, oh my God, okay. Now I really like this band because I knew of the song, but I... That's one of the few songs, and I think I said this on my uh, podcast episode where I talked about sometimes covers are better than originals. I like their higher ground just a little better than Stevie Wonder's, although both are great. Uh, Knock Me Down, I think, is another great original song of theirs, and I think the second song of theirs I heard. And really, this, this album is kind of the perfect meeting point between their early years those first three albums, and their upcoming years. They also did Fire, the Jimi Hendrix song, and I think Castles Made of Sand, I believe, was also somewhere in there. But I was reminded when I re-listened to this album recently, and I think the first time I listened to it all the way through, of the song, I think it's the last one, called Johnny Kick a Hole in the Sky. Come on, that's just a fun song. And also, this is a kind of, this album is when they started branching out lyrically, from just kind of the cock rock, you know, uh, I would contend that the career of the Peppers and the individual members kind of shows that evolution of kind of frat bro to evolved human male, you know, and uh, it's, it's a simplification, but I think you can see that throughout their discography, throughout their evolution. And then, of course, we have Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic, their first masterpiece which catapulted them that showed even more range and you have you know give it away and suck my kiss and and uh, of course under the bridge but my favorite from that album was breaking the girl it was kind of like Soundgarden's black hole sun where they did something slightly offbeat different psychedelic and I knew enough of their other stuff to like it but when they did that I said oh these guys are serious I, I don't just want to hear more. I want to get into them. That's when really they attached themselves to me for that song. It was that song. In the same way, Even Flow made me want to listen to uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, also, it's the first album that Rick, Rick Rubin produced uh, of theirs. And that's, it's a funny connection since Rick Rubin produced, you know, the Beastie Boys' first album. So it just that kind of came around. They asked Rick Rubin to do an album before and he said no because he didn't want to get involved with people who were so into drugs and uh, boy did he change his mind because he ended up producing six of their albums and is and has already I believe produced a seventh which I'll talk about uh, in a minute 
Uh, but yeah, Breaking the Grout Say was my favorite of that. And then they release What Hits, which is a perfect time for them to stop. After a big album like that, you have to stop. Take a breath and uh, retrospect it for yourself, but also for the fans. And that, I think, if you don't know this band, I'm going to point to it for you people. What Hits. Go to that album, because not only does it have their early hits and semi-hits, it also has some other stuff like Johnny Kick a Hole in the Sky and things that show... Um, a more of a, I guess, complete picture of their first 10 years of existence. Great album to start with, I think. Then <clears throat> they pivoted again because Fushiante needed to leave, a lot of pressure, and he had drug issues. Uh, and he did some very interesting solo stuff. I'll talk about that in a second. And they did the album One Hot Minute, which I don't think is a lot of people's favorites, but I would say is probably in my top three. I would say is almost definitely in my top three. I prefer their stuff with Frusciante, but Dave Navarro did a great job of bringing that more kind of, um, you know, he says he wasn't into funk, but, uh, you know, Jane's Addiction had that kind of alt-funk feel to them in many ways anyway, and so he brought that there, and, le- and the, some of that new stuff really forced them to expand, which they probably would have anyway, but you don't know, and so the fact that they were kind of forced to expand kind of pushed them in a direction that they, you know, that of evolution that they would continue to, uh, you know, do in the future. And that song, Aeroplane, with the one with the kids singing at the end, I'm just thinking of the song, now it's stuck in my head. Look up the song, any, any one song from Stuff Before Californication, look up Aeroplane, because that's not on what hits, because it came after, and I just think it's something that you should uh, listen to and probably enjoy. And... People probably thought by then, and certainly in the mid to late 90s, that okay, they had their run and they're done and they're going to be a band that just you know does what I said about the other bands in the beginning of the podcast. They just tour and nobody pays attention to them. And then they put out Californication, which I think is the album that established both their staying power and their timeless talent. It was, there were things that they did in there that they hadn't ever done before, and yet still, again, stuck to their core. They had even more lyrical range, more sonic range. And uh, even though, and I think this is a lot of people's favorite album of the Peppers that, you know, uh, I I think Around the World is from there, uh, Californication, certainly. I think they had four or five hits. My favorite from this album, though, is Scar Tissue. It's something that I cover uh, acoustically and and everything. And uh, I will say that I like the album, and I like what they did with it. I certainly liked it when I bought it. You see it right here. But uh, it's not in my top three. I, it could be, I'd say it's probably in my top five, maybe six, but uh, not my top three. And, I, and that's because, by the way, which they put out, so, so Californication was 99, one hot minute was 95. By the way, it was 2002, is my hands-down favorite Chili Peppers album. When I re-listened to it last week, there was not one single song that I thought I needed to speed through. There wasn't any song where I was distracted or losing interest. I think that album is the culmination thus far of their work with John Frusciante. He even says he was at a creative peak. He, He then put out six solo albums afterwards, and so you can see that he had been sober and whatever. But he, he asserted more of his sonic qualities, both in his guitar and all the wonderful backup vocals. And I believe even some of the 
writing lyrics, uh, I, I am pretty sure. And to me, it fulfilled the promise of Californication. Californication said, oh, we're, we're doing something new and different and better and still the same and, and everything else in between. And by the way, said, now we're going to do it and do it even better than that. We're going to do it to the absolute utmost. And I think it holds together best of any of their albums. And my favorites there, are, by the way, Can't Stop. Is, uh, listen to the lyrics of Can't Stop. There's just something about it that gets to you. Universally Speaking is a hidden gem. The Zephyr song as well. I Could Die For You, beautiful. Just listen to it. You wouldn't have thought that the Chili Peppers could have done that in the 80s for sure. Maybe not even the early 90s. Minor Thing, another uh, hidden gem. And then, you know, four years later, in 06, comes Stadium Arcadium, and it just blew the pants off of everybody. Again, a mega, mega hit. I think they might have won Video of the Year or something for Danny California, which is an awesome video. And I love that song, and the Bandaman now covers it, and I enjoy that. My other favorite song from that album is Tell Me Baby. I like a lot of the songs from the album. I think it's an amazing album. I think it's probably quality-wise as good as Californication, and by the way, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, in a different way, of course. They added Power Pop, which you know I'm a big fan of, and I do a lot of, so... I get that. And the, band, and the two guys that I play with, other uh, two of the guys I play with in the band, I think it's their favorite Chili Peppers album. I understand that completely. I think it's sprawling in the way that a White album is, sprawling in the way that uh, a few years later when Green Day put out three albums in a year, Uno, uh, Dos, Trey, that kind of a thing. And in generally speaking, I actually love that. I'm not a person who says... White Album would have been stronger if it was just a single album and cut the fat. I'm the kind of person who's like, if an artist wants to go wild like that, you know, the way Frusciante did, releasing six albums in a year, or the way I did last year with Rec releasing five albums in a year, do it, because nobody is out there who can tell you that you can only stay in one lane, or that an entire album has to sound one way. If it does, that's great too. You know, that's, I think that's an artistic choice. But if you're forced to do that, that sucks. So any band that branches out from that and says, nope, I'm going to do what I do and do whatever I do, no matter if it fits or not, I think in a lot of ways Stadium Arcadium is that album for them. A few years later, uh, well, after that, Frusciante left again, second time he left, and uh, he, uh, they did I'm With You, which is up here. So I'm already up to the last one that I bought uh, because, as you know, I stopped buying CDs in 2011 or something like that. And uh, that's when Josh Klinghoffer, a friend and co-worker of Frusciante, came, stepped in and gave it more of kind of an alt-rock feel, brought out new things. Uh, there's, there's a lot of strong stuff there. Uh, I remember really enjoying the album for its more intimate qualities, I would say. And there's, again, a little bit more of an evolution there. Um, it's it's probably it's not in my top five, but it's but it's something. Uh, if you like some of the other ones that you listen to, absolutely would recommend listening to that too. And then comes the Getaway from 2016, which again, sadly, I missed when it came out. What was I doing in 2016? Um, the I'm with you was the last album that Rick Rubin produced, and it's just. Rick Rubin, as a producer, 
he's hit or miss for me. There are some things he does where I'm like, oh my God, like with the Chili Peppers, you know, or the Beastie Boys. Perfect, amazing. Probably the Johnny Cash stuff, I would even say. But then there are other times where I'm like, he didn't really do much. Now, I know that's his vibe. It's like, let the music speak for itself, let the band speak for itself. But sometimes, for me, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think it always worked with the Chili Peppers. So when they uh, switched, primarily because of, uh, you know, Klinghoffer not really getting along uh, with Rick Rubin, but other reasons too, and and used uh, somebody else for the getaway, I think in some ways the music suffered. And I'm not saying it's it's worse qualitatively, but I think sonically it, it doesn't necessarily capture their spirit in the way Rick Rubin can. And And here's the thing. The producer for that was Brian Burton, a.k.a. Danger Mouse. And you know he's somebody that I like because I did an episode on uh, the Grey album of Danger Mouse. And... I love his vibe and what he does. At the same time, I think as a producer, he's also hit or miss for me because for the same reason. There are times where his minimalism is perfect and other times where it maybe doesn't do enough. For me, this is my opinion. Please disabuse me of that opinion. Like I said last week, I'm open. I'm willing to have my mind changed. Uh, But it does, it did prove, I think to me, two things. One is that the Chili Peppers were still putting out great stuff. And two is that they put out even better stuff with Rick Rubin. Um, which, I'm saying this because, and even the, my friends who are huge fans of the Peppers didn't know this, not only did Frusciante decide he wants to rejoin, which I think was a couple of years ago was the announcement, uh, the Chili Peppers. Uh, so that'll be his third time joining. Um, he also, or they are also have, I think, finished a new album with Rick Rubin. He's back for the seventh production with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I, they expect that album to be released later this year or early next year. I say the sooner the better. I am super excited for it, especially after diving into all of their other albums. I am so excited that they have put new material out. It doesn't surprise me because all those guys are, you know, they're doing it for the love of the music and they're doing it knowing that they they got to a place where they've, you know, matured and sobered up in ways that have made things even better and made music even better. Um you know, uh, was, I just read an article, an interview with Jonah Hill, and he was talking about this thing that I talked about before, which is there's a myth that if you're a tortured artist, your art is better. And anyone who's ever been inside of that or been with tortured artists know that great art doesn't come from that. Great art comes from what you do with that and usually comes in moments of clarity. Jim Morrison and the Doors had great moments of clarity earlier in their career, and when he became just a drop-down drunk, everything suffered. So that tortured, that manifestation of torture through drug abuse or alcohol abuse or whatever else, or severe depression even, does not make great art. It's a, it's a myth. You don't have to suffer for your art. If you, if you use your suffering in your art, that's wonderful, but you don't have to suffer for your art. And I think as they learned that, there's a gratefulness in their music that you get through their lyrics and through their just continuing to do and to do well. That's really exciting to me. Uh, Quick note about John Frusciante. There's somebody who does not 
let anything stop him from trying to bring out what's in his head. His early albums were so experimental that there's sometimes they're off-putting. I, I, I likened it to if you can imagine Yoko Ono's solo work, but if she were on heroin. That's pretty much how it sounds. Some of that stuff is just very compelling, and some is you should probably also be on heroin if you're listening to it. But what it did was it informed so much of his later work to the point where even as, as early as 2004, the stuff he started to put out was more solid, but still so diverse and still had such interesting elements to it and still was experimental in its own way. So you combined, the way I like to do sometimes, those experimental elements, but within a very solid, strong structure and and uh, you know, performance that what you come up with is just is quite unique. And yet, what's interesting is that period, which is as far as I've gotten. Uh, admit that now. I haven't listened to all of his solo stuff, and I plan to finish that uh, in the next week or two. Uh, that period, though, in '04, to me, vocally and in certain qualities of his music, especially on one or two of those six albums he released that year reminds me of Matthew Sweet and sounds like if Matthew Sweet had stuck to evolving as an alt-rock artist and not kind of gone more into the kind of classic rock, uh, the birds kind of feel, 70s rock kind of thing, I think he would have become kind of similar to the way that uh, some of John Frusciante's work sounded, which is just interesting to me. It's a connection I hear. I don't know. My son told me yesterday that I hear connections that other people don't hear, and he's probably right. But that's why we're having this talk, and that's why I always want to hear from you, because you may hear things that I don't hear, or you may agree with something I hear and say, I'm glad somebody finally pointed that out. And either way, I want to know what you're thinking, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for watching and listening and clicking and subscribing and and joining me on Patreon and on Anchor and in any other way that you are here with me. And I'll talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.